Hi there, and thanks for joining us. Well, there was a budget earlier in the week, but it's kind of been talked to death because it's already yesterday's chip wrapping because the country is worrying about going to level five in COVID restrictions. So we're going to keep doing what we do best here, listening to stories that show how the business heart of Cork is still beating strong. To that end, we're about to hear about neuroscience, eggs and Dunkettle. I'm Jonathan Healy and this is Red Business. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. It's been a very fast-moving news cycle for the last couple of days. So our next story you may have actually missed in all of the noise around the budget and COVID and everything else. But it is very much a good news story for people who are commuting in Cork, particularly those coming from the east or the North. The government has announced the award of the Dunkettle Interchange Upgrade Main Contract. Now that might sound a little bit dull, but it will mean a big difference to people in their cars. Sean O'Neill is with Transport Infrastructure Ireland and he is with me now. Sean, how are you? Good, Jonathan. How are you? I'm very well. Um, This is a big deal because this roundabout this junction this big interchange that's been there uh, for what well over 20 years now desperately needed a bit of love it was all going ahead and then the proverbial fell out of it uh, last year you might bring us back to what happened in the first place that delayed this process well technically it was a it wasn't a delay it was an assessment that we do under the contract structure the contract was called an NEC 3 type of contract which is new engineering contract 3 which in it allows the client uh, to go down the road no pun intended of doing a scheme doing a project and then with that service provider or that contractor uh, trying to agree a price for the actual heavy construction. So uh, the house analogy would be, we know we want a house, we know we want X amount of uh, bedrooms, we know we want a kitchen, bathrooms, et cetera. And once we agree all those terms with our contractor, we as the client, i.e. you, the taxpayer, can stop and say, okay, what price are you gonna charge me to actually build the house? And that's really where we ended up diverging from an agreement in price. And we went back out to the marketplace. You're allowed to do this. You're allowed to say to the contractor you've been working with, thank you, we really appreciate your work. But we wanna go back out to the marketplace and let the market tensions deliver what we believe is better value. And that was something that went down like a lead balloon amongst the Cork business community because we saw it as a delay and people were annoyed. So fast forward to this week, what's changed? Well, what's changed is um, we've saved estimated of over $40 million for the taxpayer by doing this process. Uh, secondarily, we are able to, we were able to deal with a lot more challenges uh, now, uh, the last 12 months really, uh, in regards to infrastructure that's important for the business community like drainage electrical conduit corridors broadband corridors get an advanced uh, investigative works done start putting in the the innards of the interchange that'll connect up to the greater business community in little island for example also to put in the infrastructure for a cycleway and walkway that'll bring people pedestrians and cyclists across the Duncattle interchange directly over towards Little Island area and onto the train station off of Little Island as well. So we've really got the 12 months of work in advance of the heavy construction and it's going to have a huge impact. 
And it's also going to allow us to manage the delivery of the contract in phases because the completion date for this contract now is quarter one, 2024, but there will be phased completions. And especially with a project of this complexity, mm. you're going to need to deliver it you know, as it comes online because you're really building uh, on existing roads that are currently being used. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the old analogy would be you are operating on a patient on the table who's actually awake and, and almost moving around. So uh, people will remember what happened with the Red Cow. Those of us who are painfully familiar with the Red Cow interchange or the Red Cow roundabout, as it used to be, the work that went on there, it kept moving. Now, there was a lot of shunting around and one day you were going that way and another day you were going that way. Is that what people can expect? And how disruptive is that going to be, Sean, as that proceeds? That's the biggest challenge, and I, and I do ask your listeners to go onto our website, uh, which is excellent. The project team have put together both an app and a website that is going to inform people in real time. So before you leave your office or leave your home, you can check out the app. It's on kettle.ie, and it'll, it'll give you live data. Part of the project that I mentioned earlier was that putting in the intelligent transportation system will allow the public to make a decision and the business community to make a decision as to whether they want to travel at certain times or to really have a, a real-time decision-making process for their journeys. That's going to help us mitigate the impact because that's really the challenge here, Jonathan, is the fact that you are going to be delivering a heavy construction infrastructure while people are on it. Mm. Um, now, people are already a bit annoyed coming in from that side of town, particularly the east. Is there going to be a lot of disruption? Are we going to have pain before we see the benefits of this, Sean? Yes, you are. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to change that sort of reference. I think people need to understand that this is a significant project. Uh, the total investment value here is 215 million euros, and it's going to transform the entire region, not just for Cork, but for the whole section of the country that really integrates into the Cork County Cork and also throughout into Waterford and going back all to Limerick, etc. So I think it's it's significant. And this disruption will be managed as best we can. And again, we will uh, forecast works in the weeks prior and then up to the week prior and up to mm. the day prior so people will be able to make an educated decision on what's best for them okay but there is going to be pain during this yes. yeah the, the dirty question is how long how long is it going to go on for because i remember when we used to talk on radio before about the n7 upgrade and it was going to be great and brilliant and then it was kind of nearly 18 months later before the motorway was fully restored how long can we expect these works to go on and that disruption to continue well, we're fortunate that the contractor that did work with us prior to this opportunity to go back out to the marketplace has won the contract, John Sisk and Sons. So um, Sisk is a, an excellent contractor. They have their uh, equipment, materials, and people ready to go. Um, but this project being the significance of it, it, it is due for delivery quarter one, 2024, but it will be delivered in sections. So that means uh, before then, within the next 18 months, people will start seeing things being delivered. Delivered. Within the next 12 months, people start seeing some elements being delivered. As a matter of fact, an important element will be delivered by the end of this month, by the end of October into at latest early November. Uh, that'll be the new cycleway and pedestrian crossing at Dunkettle, which will allow people to get over to Little Island and back. Mm. And, and that's really going to help with the, the sort of alternative transportation options for people. Okay. And uh, uh, that'll, uh, that'll happen. You know? uh, yeah, absolutely. Will. And th there's other little bits and pieces that have we, we've been watching with interest. So w when you're heading up the Dublin road, there seems to be a new slip road coming on there. Equally, there seems to be a slip uh, traveling east uh, off the M8. Is, is that going to open anytime soon? 
soon or is that are we going to have to wait for that to, to be introduced some of them some my my detailed knowledge is, is it is somewhat limited but some of the some of the access corridors are being built right now so the contractor can get into and out of sight so they may be some of the elements you're seeing um i believe that within the next 12 months you'll start seeing operational changes which in english means people will be shifting onto new infrastructure but there will be some temporary infrastructure as well because you're literally trying to get people off uh, during the interim of replacing another section and it's it's very complex. There's going to be, you know, 52 different structures and different forms of structures. You're going to have four roundabouts, two grade separated junctions, two tie-ins with, you know, the existing network. So that'll all happen within the next 12 months to 18 months to 24 months. And there will be some interim and temporary works as well. And there's also some access corridors for the construction worker to get in and to and out of the site safely. So that's some of the things that you're going to see as well. Okay, so in other words, we can expect a bit of disruption, long-term gain for short-term paid, well, short-term by uh, by 2024. Uh, realistically, shouldn't we have done this when we built the tunnel in the first place? Um, I know hindsight is a wonderful thing, but is that not the, the real challenge here, is that uh, while the tunnel was really, really ahead of its time, the road structure around it probably could have been designed a bit better? Well, you could say that about any project after, you know, well after. And I think the challenge is that you can't be expending taxpayers' money unnecessarily for the potential future growth of an area until that growth happens. So this growth has occurred. And, and you know, the, 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 the macroeconomic picture for Greater Cork and the country in general is that now is the time to deliver the benefit now, but then well into the future. So you don't want to be spending taxpayers' money in the anticipation of something you don't know is going to happen. But now we know that growth has happened. Growth will continue to happen. The infrastructure is there. The business communities, the huge employers in those areas, they're not going anywhere. And uh, Ireland is doing tremendously well when you think of the economic impact globally that's going on right now. We have the potential to really come back roaring post-COVID-19. And God willing, you know, we get through this all well and safe. Um, but this piece of infrastructure is going to be transformative for greater core. And finally, uh, at the risk of ruining an otherwise lovely story about something that is happening, what about the M20? Are we putting that in the long finger again? We don't know the the financial implications of COVID-19, yet they're spending money like it's going out of style, but it's not on the type of infrastructural project that, that you guys deal with in TII. Is there going to be a delay to the M20 as a result of everything that's going on, do you think? Not to my knowledge. I mean, what we have is what I can tell you is it's in the National Development Plan. The government uh, is committed to that. Um, they've reiterated that over the last year or so. And uh, Work is ongoing. The pre-planning is going. The pre- preparatory work for all the statutory requirements is ongoing. So there's people, there's men and women working hard on it. And uh, that's the commitment that we have. And that's the commitment the government has given. So we will continue to work on it. And it will be a transformative. It'll be huge for the country because you'll actually counterbalance the the economic impact that Dublin has had with the west coast of the country. You'll have motorway from Cork all the way up to Shannon, all the way up to Galway. Because you you think of Cork, Limerick, Shannon, Galway will be all motorway once the M20 is built. It's not just Cork and Limerick. It'll have a conglomerated economic impact that'll be significant for the west coast of the country. And that'll help Dublin as well. Okay, well, Sean, it's been a pleasure speaking to you when it hasn't been snowing, because I think most of the times we've spoken in recent years, it's been during snowstorms. So good to have a positive story. Thanks so much for talking us through it. Uh, and uh, we, we may curse you under our breath as we get stuck in temporary traffic delays, but at least you've warned us about them. Sean O'Neill of TII, thanks for joining us.
Thank you, Jonathan. Mind yourself. Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork. Now, my next guest is somebody who works with a company that you're very familiar with, but you mightn't realise how familiar with them you are. You'll have seen the brand Riverview Eggs. The managing director is DJ Kelleher, and he's with me now. DJ, how are you? I'm keeping good. Life is good. It's a lovely sunny day outside, so we're not doing too bad. And that's exactly where we want you to be. Uh, Tell us about Riverview Eggs. Where are you based? Uh, Riverview Eggs, we're, we're based here in Watergrass Hill. Um, it was started by my mum and dad, Dan Joe and Margaret Kelleher, back in 1966, when my mum married my dad and realised he was land rich, pocket poor, and went off and bought 600 hens and put them into a barn on the home farm and started selling her eggs at what were then called country markets. Uh, they're now farmers markets, but that's where she started in 1966. Okay, so from very small, humble beginnings, uh, and I have to build up to the big number, how many hens have you got laying at the moment for Riverview? Well, we we have production predominantly here in Cork and Munster, um, uh, but then obviously around the country because we like to space out our production, um, if only for disease control, etc. So we would sell from just just shy of 500,000 hens. So you have as many hens as there are people living in County Cork. (laughs) <laughs> well yeah I suppose that's one way of looking at it Jonathan <laughs> I never quite thought of it that way but anyway <laughs> not if only they could all lay an egg <laughs> if, if that's true exactly well none of us can lay an egg so they have an advantage there how many people have you got on the payroll and how many how many families are you supporting as a result of that yeah um, well I suppose uh, here directly in Review Eggs uh, we would have 24 people employed directly full time um, and then out on production farms we would support a further 40 out on the production farms, uh, which, and I must say, the production farms, they're all family-based. So like my brother Mortimer, for example, you know, it's himself and his wife, and they've got three children. So that's an example of one family unit that's supported. Uh, my husband, then Finton, um, he has another production unit, um, a head, you know, a farm. And so like, you know, even my husband gets in on the deal. So he has a, a, a farm there here in Watergrass Hill as well. So that's an example of what I mean by production farms. They're all family-based um, and supporting upwards of 40 people. Uh, we will get to the business part in a minute, I promise. But did Finton have anything to do with chickens before he met you? Not a bit. He was in the British Merchant Navy <laughs> for 23 years. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he fi- finally ground him down. <laughs> well, so a career change um, and a husband. Uh, so he, he did well out of yeah, the team. exactly. Um, let's talk about the eggs themselves because it's been probably quite a good time for you because lockdown meant that the world and its mother was baking and if you bake, you need eggs. So did it turn out to be a very busy period for you and your half a million hens at the at the start of this year? It, it, yeah, it, it did indeed. Um, you know, Riverview, and I must say, like I've all my team here at Riverview, all the staff um, who came in during COVID, you know, like they have the same worries as you and me. Um, and they came in every day uh, to ensure that we were able to rise to the challenge of the increase in consumption out there. Um, and but I suppose then there was the perfect storm because avian flu struck up um, up the country, up around the Monaghan Cavan area, which actually meant that there was a severe shortage of eggs at the same time as when COVID kicked in, um, which was seriously challenging for us in being able to supply Dons and Tesco's and Super Value Centra, etc. Um, you know, with their eggs and 
you know, there was a massive, massive shortage and an increase in consumption. Yeah, and and obviously the hens can only do so much. So uh, you, you couldn't say, girls, would you get a move on there? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that was the thing. And, you know, to be honest with you, we were robbing Peter to pay Paul uh, all of March, April, May, just to keep customers going. Like we'd say, right, we're giving Dunstores eggs today. They'd be happy for today. And we'll try and get super value tomorrow. It was really like that. Um, and then with the symbol groups, you know, we also supply the cost cutter brand eggs and the gal eggs. Um, so it was a serious challenge to get eggs in as like we were working seven days a week, getting eggs in from the farm that were laid this morning through the machine, you know, this morning and out in the shops this afternoon. That's how fast they were turned around. It's not a, a simpler process as as one might think, because there are different types of eggs as well that you have to you have to side up to. Because uh, there are free range eggs, there are the other eggs that are in the system. There are then or, eggs, or orange yeah. and green, or, or very different types of eggs. I mean, do you produce them all? We do. Well, to be honest with you, we're we're part of the board B Equality um, Assurance Scheme. Um, it's called the SEAS Sustainable Egg Assurance Scheme. And we're part of that. And when you're a producer and packer of Board B approved eggs, you're actually not allowed to sell other types of eggs which aren't Board B approved. So under the umbrella of the Board B Quality Assurance Scheme, we have the free range, we have commercial eggs, we have organic eggs, we have omega enriched eggs. And they all have to be, you know, graded through the machine, but they all have to be true to form so that we're able to prove in any audit or if an inspector walks in, that what we pack is what we say we pack. Um, so it's it's a very tightly controlled um, system and scheme, to be honest with you. Thank God, because then at least the, the Irish consumer is getting what she or he wants to buy. Yeah, absolutely. And there can be a certain amount of confidence there. And um, when you're dealing with all those multiples, and I mean, you mentioned a few names there. Uh, is it difficult to keep them all happy? I mean, they want eggs on the shelves. They want them there yesterday and they want the quality to be right. Uh, you, you've done with what many seem to do, though, which is to keep them all relatively happy, which is a trick in itself. It, it was it, it was a challenge. Um, and I suppose the one thing that, you know, with the supermarkets and with the retailers um, like the Borbia Quality Mark, for example, it is the most reassuring food label stroke logo in terms of quality and, 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 and security of product. And to do that in a time when there was such, like there was nearly a third of the national flock depleted, um, courtesy of avian flu. And I suppose that's where we were very lucky down here in Cork and in Munster um, that, you know, thankfully there aren't too many lakes. The migrating birds are all up in that part of, of Monaghan, Cavan, Tyrone, Fermanagh. Um, and we were just so lucky. But it didn't mean that we weren't short of eggs. Um, it was just a case of trying to keep everybody happy, um, you know, in, with all of our customers. And of course, eggs are well known for being good for you, DJ. Now, you would say that, of course, being a, a purveyor of eggs. But there, there, there is a good thing in the egg that we all need, particularly at this time of year. There is. There is a thing called vitamin D. Uh, Irish people are, by our by our location here in Ireland and the weather that we get, are vitamin D deficient. Um, and eggs uh, are one of the products that is a natural source of vitamin D. The Irish government commissioned TILDA, the Irish Longitudinal Study on Aging, uh, to see what food products would help people who are deficient. And because people were cocooning, during the, the COVID-19 at the start, 
um, they weren't getting their, let's say, quota of vitamin D from the sun. Um, so they recognize that eggs, um, they're able to give off, I think it's, it's 3.8 micro units um, per egg. And for example, salmon, you know, will give you 4.7, lamb will give you 0.9. So they're a natural source of vitamin D um, to pe- for people's diets to help them with respiratory issues. And, and especially in these times where, you know, respiratory issues is a big issue. Um, last question I have to ask you. Um, how often yeah. do you eat eggs? I mean, there was the old expression, go to work on an egg. Do you have them every day? Can I tell you, uh, when I was in college, uh, playing rugby over in college in Scotland, I used to eat maybe eight, nine eggs a day. I now have two raw eggs every morning with my breakfast, and I have two raw eggs at lunchtime. That's raw my eggs. of eggs. Yeah, I have a raw egg. My you can grandmother, cook them, you know. when she came to live with us, <laughs> I will know I'm a really good. I'm a really good chef in my house. I do a raw egg really well. Um, <laughs> no, I, my grandmother, when she came to live with us when we were still in primary school, uh, she taught me how to have the, the raw egg, and as she put it, and that'll give you five extra minutes in bed. So <laughs> that was the theory behind it in those days. <laughs> well, I have to say it, they're they're good eggs because I I do uh, I do use them myself, and it's great to hear of a cork business that's doing so well. Half a million laying hens is no mean feat in its own right. From a very humble beginning of six hundred, DJ Kelleher, managing director of Riverview Eggs. Thanks so much for joining us. You're very welcome, Jonathan. Thank you for for having me on. You're very kind. Thank you. The only show in town for Cork Business, Red Business. Lots of good stuff, as we know, has come out of UCC over the years. Lots of new businesses and new ideas that have been fostered. My next guest is the latest example of that. Marco Sullivan of Neurobell. How are you? Hi, Jonathan. I'm great, thanks. Um, This is a really clever little device. Tell us what it does. Yeah, so I suppose since about 2016, I started working on my PhD um, in UCC with the Infant Research Centre and the Embedded Systems Group. And we started looking into brain monitoring. And originally, it was software for for brain monitoring in newborns. Um, and kind of over the, the four years, it kind of transformed into Neurobell, which is a medical device for the early detection and monitoring of brain injuries in newborns. Um, so specifically, we're developing uh, a pocket-sized and wireless device, which can give you decision support on the device itself in a matter of minutes instead of using the conventional systems, which are big bulky system systems that you have to roll into the neonatal ICU and you have to wait for the clinicians and expertise to come down to set up the system and to interpret the data. So we're basically just trying to speed up that process and to provide a system that's readily available um, and that can provide decision support a lot quicker than conventional systems. Um, and of course, the, the benefit here is to a very, very small baby who wouldn't be able to tell you that there's something wrong exactly so unfortunately a lot of babies do suffer brain injuries at birth whether they be minor injuries or severe injuries um but we're trying to ensure that the brain monitoring um facilities are readily available um, across all facilities so that the doctors can improve the outcomes for these babies within the short time window that they have so with a lot of these injuries there's only a short couple of hours where the doctors need to be able to detect that, that there's been an injury and then to treat it to try and improve the long-term outcomes. Um, So we're trying to facilitate that. 
Uh, one of the great things about this is it uses technology that already exists but uses it in a clever way um, and that's how a lot of medical advances are being made here it's it's taking an original idea tweaking it and developing it for a specific purpose how did the idea come about yeah exactly so i suppose the infant research center uh, has been around for a number of years and they've developed and they've done some great research in the field of of ai and diagnostic decision support um and I suppose when I, when I came in in 2016, um, it was to try and start to look at how we can actually deploy these systems. Um, so EEG monitoring has been around for hundreds of years. But aside from the move from paper-based systems to digital systems, there hasn't really been a whole pile of, of innovation in it, um, despite the fact that technology has obviously moved on very quick. So we're applying some very you know well-known um, you know, off-the-shelf components um, and being able to put them into a system and tailor make it for um, this problem and as a result we've ended up with a, a, a device that can fit inside your pocket um, and it has all the, the brains basically to be able to tell you when there is an injury or not um, so that, that's it exactly it's, it's building on technology that's already there but just having the expertise to mm. be able to apply it to, to a problem that we know is a big problem. We know you're involved uh, with Infant um, and uh, UCC and the Ignite program in UCC as well. How important is it that all of that support was there to get this product from theory as it was to reality? That's massive. I mean, I'm very lucky. I, I basically availed of all the supports that were made available to me. Um, and I think it really helped. I mean, building any startup or spin out is a difficult process in the medical device field. It's, it's even more difficult because, you know, there is a longer path. Um, trying to jump through the hoops of, of regulatory and ethical approvals. Um, so I've, I've just been very lucky to, to be able to go through Ignite and I was involved with Gateway as well at one point. Um, and, you know, I think it's 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 definitely a big plus to, to UCC as well is that they have these supports available. Um, and yeah, in terms of, I suppose, getting to the next steps, um, like it will be obviously, you know, you're talking years as opposed to, to months but um it's a slow process and it's it's obviously been made a bit more difficult mm-hmm. by covid um but at the moment i'm working with the university to protect the ip and then working with enterprise ireland to try and uh bring in the funding to get to the next steps um we're, we're looking now at, at what happens next but i mean the, the ultimate motivation here was to make sure that these little kids these little babies in distress are identified and there could be an earlier intervention ultimately isn't th- th- this has the potential to save not only a lot of heartbreak and distress but to save the future health service a lot of money that's where the win is here isn't it that you you prevent children from getting sick that need long-term life-changing interventions and, and as a result society actually ultimately wins i mean it's it, it's it's brilliant in that level of simplicity of saying it but the reality is 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 completely game-changing absolutely i mean obviously the, the immediate benefits is for the the children and the families um in terms of the health outcomes but obviously from a i suppose an, an economic perspective um currently um brain injuries in newborns account for over 50 percent of health services litigation costs um and you know in ireland i think that's that's well up over 100 million in the uk it's 2 billion and in the, in the us it's over 6 billion dollars so there's massive amounts of money being spent to try and intervene essentially so yeah neurobell has the potential to, to try and get in in the inter, in the intervention window to try and improve the outcomes um so after the brain injury happens we'll be able to detect it earlier and try and improve the outcomes for these babies and as a result that will benefit 
all the stakeholders, whether that be the parents, the kids, um, the doctors, the hospitals, um, hopefully it will have a positive outcome for all stakeholders. Absolutely. Well, look, it, it really is a great initiative and we wish you and everybody who's involved with Neural Bell uh, the very best of luck. Marco Sullivan, uh, who came up with the idea, thank you so much for joining us at Red Business and the best of luck. Thanks a million, Jonathan. And congratulations to Mark because they did win the top award at the Ignite Awards on Thursday evening. So well done to him and all the team at Ignite. That is it for this particular episode. Don't forget you can listen to them all on redextra.ie. Myra Hayes-Goff was the producer and we'll catch you on the next one. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast.